My name's Tim Gillio. Some of you probably know me. I've run into a few people that know me. Been on staff here for like 11 years. It's getting to be a long time. 11 years. Um, pastoral staff for seven now, so that's pretty crazy. Pastor Jake asked me to come in and teach. I'm kind of bummed, though. I heard that last week was the last week of daycare. <laughs> and then, like, this week there's no daycare. So I got to give a shout-out my wife, Rachel. She's an amazing woman. She's at home with our two chillins, Josephine and Jaden. Josephine just turned four. She's pretty much the most amazing four-year-old I've ever met. And my son, Jaden, if you don't know him, uh, he, the only way to describe him, how many of you guys are X-Men fans? Any X-Men people? Like, hey, you've seen the movie. Anyone just seen the movie? Yeah. I wish I hadn't. Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, there's an X-Men character called the Juggernaut. And that's the only way I can describe my son. He's like a little juggernaut. Pretty much once he gets moving, nothing can stop him. Uh, not even himself sometimes. We've had some incidents with that. Anyways, uh, the last song you guys just sang has this, this line. For the Lord, he is able. He is faithful higher than every mountain. For the Lord, he is able. He is faithful higher than every mountain. It's interesting that they sang that song because tonight I want to talk to you guys about how God's faithfulness about how God can, God can pull through. Second Timothy says, even when we're not faithful, God's faithful. That's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight. We're going to, we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about trusting God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's go ahead. Let's pray because I think God's got something he wants to say. So if you would bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we're here right now. Quieting our minds, quieting our hearts. Father, putting aside the things of this week, everything that's gone on. Maybe our week, Lord, has been crazy and we're happy that Thursday's here. Maybe, maybe it's been the best week ever. Whatever it is, Father, we choose at this moment to quiet ourselves. Father, we're here because we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say. So, Father, we're still right now, and we know that you are God. We trust you. We look to you. Father, we want to grow closer to you. We want to draw near to you. Father, we want to be your children that chase after you passionately, wholeheartedly with everything that we have. Father, we want to be able to look at this statement of you are able and you are faithful and you're higher. Father, we want to believe that and we can't do it on our own. Father, we need to hear that from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you flip open to Romans chapter 4. Roman, Romans chapter 4, we're going to start around verse 19 and look at 19, 20, and 21. Jesus, when dealing with people with faith, he made two interesting comments to me. The first interesting comment he made is when he was talking with his disciples, they were in the boat, there was a storm going on, they were freaking out. They were going crazy. Jesus is sleeping. 
He gets woken up and they're, they're, they're going crazy. They're saying, Jesus, we're about to die. We're going to die. And then he calms the storm. He says, peace be still to the, to the waves. And they all calm down. And it's interesting that in a moment it goes flat. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. In another moment, Jesus is hanging out and this guy comes up to him and the guy asks Jesus to heal his daughter or his servant, excuse me, asks Jesus to heal his servant and Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. And the guy looks at Jesus and says, you don't have to come. There's a centurion. He's a soldier. He says, you don't have to come. I'm under authority. I understand authority. I have people underneath me. I know that if I just say the word, it'll happen. Jesus looks at this guy, and this is what he says. I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. I read these two comments, and it makes me think, some people have little faith. Some people have great faith. So my question for me is how do I grow in faith? Or what does it mean to grow in faith? Because if you can have little faith and you can have a lot, lot of faith, you must be able to be anywhere in between those. And Romans chapter 4 has an interesting concept in it. It's the story of Abraham. Many of you probably know it. We'll touch base on it as we go. Romans chapter four, verse 19 starts out and says, Abraham was about 100 years of age. And I just think, man, that's old. Dude's old. Abraham was about 100 years of age. His body was about dead. But his faith in God was not weak when he thought of his body. His faith was not weak when he thought of his wife, Sarah, being past the age of having children. Abraham did not doubt God's promises. His faith in God was strong, and he gave thanks to God. For, for any of you who do not know the story of Abraham, this is Abraham in a nutshell. Abraham is, a, is an Israelite man. He's known as the father of the faith. He's one of the patriarchs. He's living in Israel, Jewish man. God comes to him one day. The story's found in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. The problem is Abraham didn't have any kids. At this age, he was probably about 75 years of age. He's about 75 years of age. The story progresses and he's believing and he's believing and he's believing for 25 years. For 25 years, he's believing and he's not receiving. When I read Romans chapter four, it catches me a little weird. It catches me a little weird because of this. When I think of faith, when I think of growing in faith, this is what I naturally think of. Because I think from the human perspective, I think if he prayed and he received, his faith would grow. 
because that's what I've experienced. It's like this. It's like in math class. When I do the test and I do well, it means that I've grown in my knowledge of math. So I put that into the concept of faith and right here. And I think if Abraham's faith was to grow, it would mean that Abraham prayed, believed something, received it, and then his faith grew. But the opposite is what happened. And this is what I don't understand. How can Abraham believe something, it not happen, and his faith grow? When we look at this verse, the Greek word here where it says grew stronger, it essentially means to increase, to make strong. It literally, it just means grow, to in strengthen. How in the world did a man, in Genesis chapter one, this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham's sitting here and he's saying, how does this even work? Because I'm 75 years old. I'm, 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 I'm dead. This is what Abraham thought. I'm dead. I don't know about you. I haven't seen many 75-year-old men walking around with kids. Be weird, right? Just be honest. It would be weird. God comes to Abraham, says, I'm going to make you into many nations. He actually takes through the next several chapters of the Bible, he changes Abraham so much that his identity changes and his name is changed from God. His name starts out as Abraham, which literally means high father. It's kind of a generic name, high father. It's someone that's looked at in a position of authority and he changes it to Abraham, which literally means the father of a multitude. Genesis chapter 17, verses three and five. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And then God wants to get Abraham to believe this so much that he literally takes it a step farther and says, no longer shall you be called high father, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's crazy faith that I don't understand. I'm going to be real with you guys. Can I be real? In my life for the last four years, I've been dealing with a stomach issue and acid issues in my throat, and it's messing me up. Every time I would say the vowel E, acid would, like they put, I hope, you guys kind of just ate probably, but this could get a little grab. Uh, anyways, man, that the ENT, like I go into an ENT to figure out what's up with my throat because like food's getting caught and I'm like, oh, this is horrible. I'm choking at times. I couldn't wear normal shirts. I had to wear V-neck shirts. Not a big deal. <laughs> V-neck shirts are awesome. But when I started wearing them, I didn't like them. Anyways, that all changed. Uh, I go into the ENT. The dude 
pulls something off the shelf and he says, I'm going to stick this in your nose. And I'm like, no, you're not. And he starts putting all this stuff on it, spraying stuff in my nose. He shoves a camera up in my nose, looks down in my throat, and he has me start talking. And I'm thinking, there's something in my throat. How can I talk? Anyways, I start talking, and he shows me the video, the, the, the screen on it. And every time I would say E, acid would come up. And I'm like, what's going on? And can, can I be honest? Your mind just goes to all the bad things, right? There's something seriously wrong. You know, uh, cancer's running my family ridiculous amounts and I'm, the enemy just sits there and gets on your shoulder right and sits there and tells you all these lies and I'm battling this for years and I get into the NT and he looks at this and he starts putting me on uh, like acid reducing tablets and I'm on this and I'm on this and I'm trying to and can I tell you what happened to my faith when I would be, when I would pray and believe for something and not receive it my faith didn't grow in that so I look at a story like this and I'm like, what the heck? Abraham is told he's going to be the father of a multitude and he, he's believing it. I'm sure all of his friends thought he was crazy. Like they're trying to find some place to lock him up, right? Because this 75-year-old dude is saying, I'm going to be the father of a multitude and he's got no kids. I wonder how many people tried to come up and convince him to stop believing what God had promised him to believe. I wonder how many friends of his who thought they were trying to be nice come up, secretly grab Abraham, say, Abraham, I don't think you should be believing this. I bet you he came up against some stuff. I know that when I walked through those situations, it was hard to keep believing it was hard to keep standing in faith through those situations. And how often do we find ourselves in those situations and we're struggling and what do we do? We isolate ourselves. We don't really want to talk about it. How in the world did his faith grow over 25 years of not receiving what God had promised him? 25 years, that's, that's more than some of us have been alive. That's a long time. If I don't receive something in seven days, I'm like, must not have been God, right? 21 day. 21 days of prayer and fasting. I didn't receive it. It must not have been what God wanted to. Try 25 years. And his faith grew. And it all comes down to what the next verse says. Romans 4 verse 21. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see, the problem with Abraham is this. The dude was stubborn in the promises of God. The dude didn't care what other people said. He didn't care that his wife was past the age of giving birth. He didn't care what people said. He didn't care what statistics showed. He cared what God said. 
He was fully convinced. When I read that word fully, this is what I literally think of. Every cell in his body was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had said he was going to do. That's not me. I found myself on the opposite side of the spectrum. I find myself sitting there thinking, man, I hope God can heal me. Man, I hope it's not something real bad, this acid issue that I'm dealing with. I hope it's not something. That's not what God says. That's not how God works. God says that you are blessed. God says that you are redeemed. It goes back to that song. What did that song say? That song said, for the Lord, he is able. He is faithful higher than every mountain. My question is, are we fully convinced? It's hard to be fully convinced, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard when everything tells you that what God has spoken to you and what you are believing for is against the odds. It's hard. So what does it take for us to get fully convinced of what God has spoken to us, of what God has said to us, whether it's in the Bible or it's a spoken word to us. What does it take to be fully assured? For he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It all comes down to this, the he what he had promised. You know what kind of blew my mind a while ago? When I realized that I didn't have to have faith in myself. Because Tim isn't faithful. Tim falls short. Tim messes up. Tim does stupid things. Hopefully not on purpose, sometimes on purpose. I don't have to have faith in myself because I didn't promise myself anything because I can't promise myself anything. It all comes down to the he in that statement. Abraham wasn't fully convinced in himself, his own ability to get pregnant. Well, to get his wife pregnant. That'd be just, hold up, anatomy class, that can't happen. Uh, sorry. Abraham wasn't convinced in himself. Abraham was convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. But so often, what we try to do is we try to make it about ourselves. See, if I can pray the right prayers and I can do the right things and I can live the right kind of life, then I'll get what I believe I want or what I believe God has spoken to me. But it's got nothing to do with us. All we have to do is passionately pursue God. All we have to do is rest in him. All we have to do is know the promises that he has spoken to us. Rod on those and say, God, I know that you are faithful. Even though I may not be faithful, even though the world I live in might not be faithful, even though the school I go to might not be faithful, God, you are faithful. And it takes, it takes kind of a tenacity 
to believe that God can do what God has said, even though statistics and people say it's not possible. It's all about the he. I was thinking about this, and with the, the, the time in history we are, one of the things that I find most amusing is how so many people will promise things and not follow through on them. If I sat here, most of you don't know me, some, some of you know me. If I sat here and I promised you that I was going to give you something, all you can take me on is my word. That's it. But you don't know my character. You don't know much about me. You don't know if I'm known for falling back on them or if I'm known for following through on them. If you went out and met some random person on the street and they said, hey, hey, do you got 10 bucks? I need 10 bucks. And I promise to give it back to you next week when I get paid. I mean, you might be willing to give them 10 bucks, but you better be willing to give them 10 bucks and then hope that it comes back, right? Because you don't know them. But if your best friend comes to you that you've known for 15, 16 years, you've been faithful to each other, you know that your best friend is faithful to follow through on what they've said, and they come to you and say, hey, I need 10 bucks. They could come to you and say, hey, I need 100 bucks. If you've got it, and they said they'll pay it back, you will probably give it to them, and it's based on what? You know the character of the individual that's given it, right? See, you don't know my character. I mean, you, you know a little bit about me. You know I'm a pastor on staff here. Maybe you know me. As a friend, some of you, Dylan, Dylan and I know each other. A couple of you guys know him. Come on. But all you've got to do is know the character of the individual given the promise. And if you know that, then you know that the promise is either faithful or not faithful, right? So Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had said he would do. It had nothing to do with Abraham. So when it has nothing to do with Abraham, it makes it a lot easier, even though you're not seeing the results and the, the, the answered prayers, even though you're not seeing it year after year after year, Abraham could still remember and focus on the character of God, and then he could make a statement that says, even though it took me 25 years to receive what God had given to me, all those years long, I could say that my faith didn't weaken because my faith grew, because what was he doing? He was probably drawing closer and closer and closer to the character of God and learning and seeking out who God is. But so often, what do we do? We take our relationship with God, and sometimes we make it about receiving things instead of just chasing after the heart of God, passionately pursue who he is, and let God do what God said he was going to do. Fully convinced. So it comes down to three things. 
you have to know what it is that has been promised. You have to know what the promise is. The second thing is this. You have to know the character of the individual giving it or the promiser. And then the third thing is this. When the Holy Spirit connects with your spirit, it will produce the reassurance and the confidence in what God has spoken. You have to know what it is that has been promised. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That word there is rhema. It's the spoken word. It's when the Bible becomes more than just words on a page. It's when you're spending time reading the Bible and you're absorbing it so much and there's a connection that happens that's greater than you reading a book. It has to be real to you because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith in a promise comes by knowing what the promise is. So what are the promises? God has promised freedom. He's promised victory. He's promised healing. He's promised strength to us. He's promised that he will take care of us and he will provide for us that we don't have to try to do it on our own, but he is there for us. We have to know the promises because what good does it do if someone promises you something and you don't even realize it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Abraham didn't know why, but he couldn't help but believe. I'm sure Abraham probably tried at times to convince himself not to believe in what God had promised him. There's actually one point in Genesis chapter 17 where God actually laughs, or Abraham actually laughs at God. He laughs at God. God says he's going to be a dad, and Abraham laughs. Knowing the spoken word. You have to know the character of the individual giving it. The promiser. Abraham made his life about knowing God. Our relationship with God is tangible through the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. The word for Holy Spirit used throughout the gospel is paraclete. I like to think of it as the one who sticks with you. You can hear the word cleat in there, like for sports. The Holy Spirit is the one that sticks with you. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him, this is talking about God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work in us. Knowing a promise does nothing if you don't know the character of the person promising it. We have to know the promise 
and we have to know the promiser. And this is the tricky part, making knowing the promiser a greater thing than the promise. We have to get to the point where we're ready to to radically abandon everything else but knowing the promiser, but knowing God, but knowing Jesus Christ. If you want to live a life fully convinced that God is able to do what God has said he would do, you have to live a life fully seeking after the heart of God, passionately pursuing him with every cell, every part of your body. We have to know the promiser. If you would, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? Go ahead and close your eyes. As we're getting ready for service and we're worshiping, I was kind of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit say quietly in my heart that there might be someone in here contemplating if it's worth it. Is it worth it to abandon everything that I think is important to passionately pursue God with everything that I have? What God wants you to say, or what, what God wants to say to you is this. Jesus was willing to abandon everything that he had. And he came down to this earth. He endured so much pain, so much discomfort, so much torment. People hated him. People spout on him. And he went up on that cross. And Hebrews 12, 2, that he says that he did it with his eyes focused on you. And he wants you to know that if you're willing to abandon everything that you think is important, he will show you so much that you would have missed. He will show you who you really are. He will show you He will show you his heart. The connection of the Holy Spirit and our spirit will produce confident reassurance in our lives. Abraham couldn't help but believe. He was fully convinced. There's even parts of his story where his wife tried to talk him out of it. 
Sometimes the closest people to us can be the biggest discouragement in passionately pursuing God in our lives in fully believing what God has spoken to us. Let me tell you this. If you will stand confidently on the promises that God has made to you while passionately pursuing who God is and his character, trying just to get to know him more, your spirit will connect with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Your spirits will connect and it will become so tangible to you that nothing will be able to convince you that that's not possible. So my question for you is this, what have you been believing for? What have you been standing on trying to receive, believing God, what he's spoken to you? What have you been believing for that someone else has been telling you is not possible? Because this is what I want. I want all of us together to be fully convinced that God is able to do what God has promised. I want years from now, people to look back at us and say, wow, they had fully, they had full faith. They were fully convinced that God is fully able. They didn't care what statistics said, what people said. They didn't care what doctors said. They cared what God said. So my question for you is this, what have you been trying to believe and receive for that other people have been telling you that you shouldn't be? I'm gonna ask everyone in here, can everyone raise their hands? Raised hands is a sign of surrender. It's giving up full control. See, sometimes we like to try to do it on our, on our own. We like to try to do it by ourselves. And what God's saying is, if you would just release it to me. Maybe some of you are like me, trying to have faith in yourself. Do you know how hard that is? If you would just turn to God, take the weight off your shoulders of trying to have faith in yourself and just have faith in God. We're gonna go through a worship song. And I just want this moment to be a moment where our spirit can connect with the spirit of God. Where our heart can connect with God's heart. You don't have to sing with them. I want you to worship however you need to worship in this moment. If you need to come up front and just bow down before God, get on your knees. If you need to go off to the side, if you need to sit down, this is your time of connecting with God. Put everything else aside and focus on who God is.